Hey, would you thank God for this time of worship with me? Let's thank God together. Grateful for Jason and the worship team leading us in worship today. My name is Pastor Tim, and I get to be the pastor here at Cornerstone Church. So glad to be with you today, either in person or online, now or later in the week. Grateful for each one of you. Please know that you matter to God, and you matter to the church. And because of that, my friends, we must matter to each other. Part of that means we pray for each other in specific ways. And it's on my mind that school will begin for a lot of families really soon. That doesn't include just families who have children. That includes families who have adults who work for the schools and all the different ways they do from teachers to administrators to bus drivers to custodians to whatever. And maybe that also includes us who are going to college or have family going to school, undergraduate school, or elementary school, or some kind of graduate program. And I'm wondering if there is anyone here today, <clears throat> if you have somebody connected to school that will be starting school here in a, this week or soon, if you just stand, because we'd love to pray for you. Now, anybody have a child, a teacher, in your family or somewhere in your household connected that is starting school? So as a sign of support, if you feel comfortable, would you please extend your hand towards someone standing as a, a support and a way of prayer? And let's pray together. And so, God, we give you thanks for this upcoming school year. And this is an important moment for families and for adults, even those going to college. And so, God, we just, we long for you to be with th these families in the transitions ahead, the different rhythms, the different schedules, the different responsibilities now that will take place. Be with each student, O oh God, that you might go with them and before them and behind them, that you might go with every person who's connected to schools, whether that be a teacher or an administrator or a custodian or bus driver. Oh God, go with them, go before them and behind them. Watch over them, oh God. We pray for our school districts, our schools, every person connected to these schools today. God, that your peace would reign, your mercy would be known, and there'd be safety for our children and our adults. God, be glorified in those places. Watch over them. They're coming and going. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Can we say it together? Amen. Amen. You may be seated. And I probably shouldn't have said you may be seated because I'm going to ask you to stand here in a moment because uh, this is good exercise for some of us. Um, if you feel comfortable, would you stand up and just greet somebody around you, welcome them here in this space? Hey friends, we're going through the book of Acts, or at least the first part of the book of Acts, and today we're in Acts chapter 9, and we won't read all of chapter 9 and won't be able to cover all of it. I'm just actually going to cover a few verses, and then we're going to pull back and look at what Jesus has to say about a few things to us. But we're in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to read a couple verses. And so you can follow along in your hardback Bible or on your phone, or just listen, look at the screen. Meanwhile, Saul, who would later become the Apostle Paul, who would 
in many ways offer Christ to the known world and plant many churches, but at this point, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Paul, Saul went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. I'll just read one more verse. As he neared Damascus on the journey, suddenly a light, light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and said, and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Early on, the first Christians came to be known as people of the way. We heard it there. Saul is persecuting the people of the way early on. He is, it says, breathing out murderous uh, violence against them. Those who would claim the name of Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Saul was on a mission, a religious mission, and he was uh, set his entire life against the cause and name of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we might think that the most difficult person or the most impossible person that Christ would reach and completely transform their life is maybe uh, somebody who struggles with drugs or a murderer or someone who's just, I mean, a criminal of criminals or someone who it just has their life a mess. But I submit to you, and this is not my point for the day, the, maybe the most difficult, most impossible person for Christ to reach sometimes is a religious person who thinks they're right. Because Paul was a deeply religious man who believed in God and believed he was acting in accordance with the will of God. And yet finally, Paul encountered Christ on the road to Damascus. He himself was on a road trip and not of the good kind. But it says here that the early Christians were known as people of the way. I want to unpack that with you this morning, uh, but first I want to tell you a quick story. It's my favorite road trips growing up as a kid and also now because we have two small kids, our road trips where we go to zoos or to whatever like that. Recently, about a, oh, like a, a year ago or two, we went to the wilds in Ohio, and our kids didn't know what we were going to do that day, and we surprised them. And I love going to those kind of uh, experiences. I remember one time growing up, traveling with my great aunt and uncle, uh, we went to Nashville to the park right there in the middle of Nashville, and we got to feed the ducks that day. I don't know why that's important to me, but for some reason, I've never forgotten it, taking a bag of bread and feeding the ducks. I don't know if you can do that today, but we did then. It was a long time ago. And just to tell you the truth, when we go to zoos or to places in Pennsylvania called Living Treasure or the Wilds, I'm always on the lookout for ducks. And you might think that's quite odd because there are much better and more fantastic animals to see and to watch on zoos. I mean, what might come to your mind? Elephants, lions, tigers, bears, I, oh my, I don't know. Um, but I, I love watching ducks, I really do. And I think for several reasons, that memory as a kid with my great aunt and uncle in Nashville feeding the ducks, it just, I don't know why, it's important to me. I, we used to have ducks on the farm in Illinois. Um, I didn't like them because sometimes they chase you, especially the geese. Um, and also, I think with ducks, I love how they 
travel along the water. I mean, their feet are paddling away, but you'd never know that. I mean, they are calm and cool and collected on the surface. And I just love that about ducks. In some ways, I want to be that way in my own life. I mean, just paddling as hard as I can, but cool, calm, and at peace on the surface. But I guess another reason I love ducks is because it's a great metaphor for what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a person of the way. And you see that when there's a mother duck with ducklings. You see, I don't know if you've ever watched any YouTube videos. I did that this week, probably too much. There's a lot of videos on YouTube, by the way, about ducks and ducklings. But I love watching this play out. Have you ever seen this in person or on a video? The mother duck calls the little ducklings to herself. She gathers them to herself, and then she takes off, and all of them, one by one, eventually will end up in a line. Now, there's usually someone in the back who's a straggler, someone who kind of loses way. That's me. I'm kind of the back there sometimes. I lose my way. But man, I'm, I'm following the mother duck. And in some ways, this is a great analogy, or is it a metaphor, an idea, an illustration of what it means to be someone who knows Jesus as Lord and Savior and someone who is surrendering his life to him and longing to be with him and longing to be about what he is about and longing to follow him. And it's like a mother duck following, being followed by many little ducklings. In some ways, that really is discipleship. That what it is means to know Jesus, to be with him, to hear his call, to surrender our lives to him, to give to him our brokenness and our fears and our despair and our sins and allow him to love us and to forgive us and cleanse us and make us into the people he longs for us to be as we just take one more step after him who calls us. And it doesn't matter where you're at in the line. That's not the point. But somewhere, where in our lives are we following Jesus like a mother duck? Well, like a duckling follows a mother duck. You don't have to be in charge. You don't have to have all the answers even. You don't have to have it all together. All really is needed is to hear his call, to come to him and be with him and follow him wherever he goes. In some ways, we can't do that on our own. We need each other. He longs for us to be known by him as the God of the universe, and he longs for us to be with him and to follow him. This is at the, well, an ancient eternal desire of God. This didn't begin with Jesus or the early Christians. In Genesis Chapter 3, verse 8, you see it right here. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. God's deep longing for us is that we would walk with him, that we would be close to God, that he would draw near to him, and we would walk with him hand in hand in a way, or as a duckling to a mother duck. This is the ancient purpose of God. We might have many different ideas about what God is up to in our lives or who God is or what God expects of us, but God is not just about rules. The only reason, primary reason he gives us rules 
or expectations is so that we might walk with God. We might know what it means to know him and to be transformed by him and to walk with him. And so it continues. There's just one more verse. And Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 22, which in some ways is the law book of the Old Testament. Here's the instruction given to the people of God who have been redeemed by grace. If you carefully observe all these commands I'm giving to you to follow, to love the Lord your God and to walk in obedience to him and to hold fast to him. This is the ancient, eternal ache and longing of God that we would hear his voice, turn to him, be transformed by him, and then follow him. And in some ways, that's why he, God gives us laws, not for our harm or not to prove to us that we're not good enough, no, or to hold us down or steal our joy. No, that we might walk with God. Know what it means to know the Creator, to know what it means to know that we're redeemed and forgiven, and to know what it means to be, well, who I'm supposed to be, not determined or based upon my own ideas or what the cultural around me tells me I'm supposed to be or my family told me I'm supposed to be. This is the eternal ache of God. And the early Christians were first not known as Christians. They were known as people of the way because there was something about them that was different. They were marked out. They were on a different path and they had founded their life upon the cornerstone who is Jesus, who's found, who, who will never be shaken and never overcome. And there was a second century leader uh, named Cyprian from Carthage, which is North Africa, who said this about the people he was pastoring and who were supposed to be as Christians, is that we, he says this, we don't say great things, but we do great things things. Now, there certainly are great things that we're supposed to say, absolutely, and there are moments in time where we have to speak the name of Jesus Christ, absolutely. But what he's saying there is that really to be a follower of Jesus is to be someone on the way, someone who is becoming something different, where Christ is making a difference in our, you and my, and my life, that when people see us and our way of life and how we are together and how we are out in the world around us, they see something different about us, the difference that only Jesus Christ can make. But we can't do that alone. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 23, verses 8 to 12, and and he says this in some ways about what it looks like to be on the way, what it looks like to be a growing disciple of Jesus. And we do that together. Here's a few things he says. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi or teacher, for you have one teacher. And if you have a Bible, you're welcome to underline one teacher, which is Jesus. And you're all brothers and sisters and do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father who is God, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. He's referring to himself, and I'm gonna unpack what that means here in a minute. 
And he says this about us, the greatest among you will be serve a servant, your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, <clears throat> and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What does it look like to be a people of the way? Well, it looks a lot like this, and so what are the takeaways? So the first one is this, if we're to be a people of the way, to be a disciple of Jesus, we are meant to learn Jesus Christ. He says that we have one teacher, and that is him. And so we're called even now to know him, to know his love, his grace, his forgiveness, to turn our lives over him, to trust in him as Lord and Savior so that he might be the Lord of our life and that we might learn from him. He says to us in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all you who are weary. Why? Well, because there are many other uh, teachers and voices internally and externally all around us telling us, demanding us who we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to live, what's expected of us. And he says, boy, if you're worn out, if you were weary, if you were tired, come to me and learn from me so that I might give you rest. There are many other teachers all around us demanding our affections, demanding our loyalties, informing us who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to love and how, what we're supposed to not love and how we're supposed to act in the world. But he says to us, if we are to be a people of the way, we're to learn him and his ways. And the best way, my friends, to learn Jesus Christ is to be people who are engaging him through the scriptures. We do that together. He has given us his word and right now, even today, like it's always been, there are many people claiming to know who Jesus Christ is. And it gets confusing, and there's like a lot of competition. Jesus is like this. Jesus is this kind of person. Jesus expects us that. He says this. He wouldn't want me to do that. He wants me to do this. All, all this stuff, it's been that way from the very beginning, and the best way to know who Jesus is is to be people who are engaging him through the scriptures. So together, I'm wondering, where are we at? Are we people who are learning who Jesus Christ is, all that he's worth, the difference he makes, can make in our life, and what he expects of us as people who love him and have been saved by him? We do that through the scriptures, and we do that in community. He's not looking for a lone ranger. He's looking for a people. And this is why the second point is there. We're meant to belong to a spiritual family. We can't do it alone, and we're not meant to. Some of us like it. We think we can do it on our own, and yet we can belong to a spiritual family. He says this, that we're all brothers and sisters, and we have one Father in heaven. It's great, it's wonderful to gather and worship on Sunday mornings or when we can, but boy, it makes such a difference when we are actually part of a spiritual family that is involved in our lives where our name is known, our story is known, where we're understanding and knowing other people, and there is people in our lives, a spiritual family that is loving us enough cheering us on enough, asking the questions to us so that we might become who we are created to be and redeemed to be. 
Do you have a spiritual family yet? That's scary. There's risk involved. And what if they find this out about me? What if it doesn't go well? What if I don't like that person? What if they don't like me? But he says to us, if we're to be a people of the way, we're meant to belong to a spiritual family. Weeks ago, I talked about how maybe God's vision for us isn't to become as big as an elephant. Now, that's great if that happens. But what if we're actually meant to become nests of rabbits where we are known and loved and supported and more and more people come to know Christ and the great difference He can make in their life. And because of that, we multiply across Westchester into, into our neighborhoods and our homes and our workplaces all around. And so, where are you at? Where am I at? Are we part of a spiritual family yet? And as we're part of that spiritual family, it's not because we like each other, that will probably happen eventually, or we're all alike, that might happen or might not. But the why is because in Jesus Christ, as we come to know Him as Lord and Savior, as we turn our life to Him, He promises not only to forgive us of our sins, to give us the hope of eternal life, He promises He'll send us His Holy Spirit. And as He sends to us His Holy Spirit, one thing that happens over time is we come to know that we have been adopted by God with every right and privilege therein. And in the Scriptures, the New Testament, Paul says this later in Romans chapter 8, that the Spirit in our lives cries out in us that we are adopted, that God is our Father and our Abba, that we belong to God now, and now because we belong to Him, we have a spiritual home and a secure future a destiny that is true and real, never be taken away. And often in my own life, it is in those small spiritual families that I have come to deal with my own sin, my own brokenness, my own fears, my own shames, where I have wrestled with my own identity, who I really am in the eyes of God, and in those spiritual families, not only have I been loved, not only have I been supported, I've had brothers and sisters in my life remind me who I really am as a beloved son of God, whom God loved, whom God has chosen, and whom God has a purpose for. The third thing he says this, really, he says that Jesus himself, the Messiah, or the Christ, that we only have one instructor and he is the Messiah or the Christ. And so why this is important to learn Jesus Christ, to be part of a spiritual family that is real and sometimes messy but intentional is so that we might become the kind of people that are instructed by Jesus that come to love and obey him with every part of our life increasingly so. We'll fail, we'll mess it up, we'll get it wrong, we'll need mercy, we'll need forgiveness, 
We'll need support, we'll need accountability, but really the goal is, if we're to be the people of the way, is become a disciple of Jesus. And a simple definition of a disciple is someone who loves and obeys Jesus. It is a Christian who has learned Jesus Christ and is part of a spiritual family who has been given the Spirit and knows who they are now in God. And they are increasingly taking small steps and big steps, risky steps and ordinary steps to love and obey Jesus. My friends, this is part of the eternal longing of God from the very beginning, before the fall, before sin and death, even before Christ came to lay down his life for us and for many, to take our sin upon himself and our suffering and our disease. This is the longing of God that we might be a people who walk with him so that we might, number four, become like him. He says this, Jesus says this, that we're to be called, become servants, and the greatest among us will be our servant because the first will be last, and the last will be first, and the greatest will be a servant of all. What does that mean? Well, that we might become more like Christ in our lives, that we might become like him, not only someone who is spiritually curious, God bless you if you're there, not only someone who has come to know that who Jesus Christ is and given our lives to him as Lord and Savior, God bless you if you're there, but people who are experiencing God's grace in such a way that we are becoming like Christ, even now, though imperfectly. And so hear me, God is not looking for perfection, but God is certainly looking for authenticity. He's, God is looking for someone who has just heard the call of the mother duck, who has heard the call of Jesus, and has just taken one more step towards him. It doesn't matter where you're at in the line of following Jesus. You can be one of the first ones, you can be in the middle, you can be in the back. I mean, you can be that little duck, that little duckling that always gets lost and like can't make it uh, above the curve on the street or you're the one that falls in the drain and all the ducks around you and then it's fine. It doesn't, it, there's no shame in that. All that he longs for is for you to take one more step towards him. to learn about him, to know who he is, to be part of a spiritual family, that's where the secret sauce is at. To come to be someone who is increasingly loving, obeying Jesus, and someone who's becoming more like him as a servant to many. So where are you at in your duck walk? And the thing about it is, if you're someone who is just taking one more step towards him and you're somewhere in the line, there is probably someone right behind you or two spots behind you or three spots behind you and it's not because you're better or I'm better. No, it's because we are broken and saved and we have just taken one little step 
And so in your life, there is someone or there will be someone who just needs to see something of the difference Christ can make in your life. That you would become something of an example. Paul will later say this to his churches, to follow him, to imitate him as he imitates Christ. And so somewhere in your life, there is someone, you might not even know it, who just needs to see you all by God's grace, all by the power of the Spirit, all by mercy, imperfectly as it is, taking one more step of an imitating Christ so that they might see the difference he can make. I spent a lot of time around recovery communities probably the last uh, 15 years. I remember one conversation actually just a year ago with someone in recovery. They were uh, in Narcotics Anonymous. They had struggled with drug addiction for years. And it wasn't overnight at all. Don't think that happened. But they came to a breaking point in their life where they had to surrender their life to a power greater than themselves. And that was Jesus Christ. And minute after minute, hour after hour, day after day, week after week, year after year, this person was now one of the main leaders of what's called a home group. The home group is the one that stages the recovery meeting. And this person named Ray was now one of the main leaders. And he talked humbly about this. He didn't have it all together. Temptation was real every day of his life. Don't get that twisted. It really was. But he was now someone that others were beginning to imitate as they took one more step towards deliverance and sobriety. And he was blown away by this because he told me a story. I mean, it was a mess. And yet, year after year, he was now the place where he was an example. And yet he deeply knew because of that, he deeply knew, profoundly knew the power of sin in his life and how real temptation was. And that wasn't a source of shame for him. That was actually a source of sobriety for him. And it actually led him to cast himself on the mercy of God every day. And he said to me this, that no matter where that person is at, their main job as the home group, those leading the recovery meeting, is just to get that person to recovery meeting. That was it. Not to give them things, not to entertain them, but just to get that person to that recovery meeting. To give them a path, to show them the way so that, and this is what he said, so that their minds and lives could be transformed and delivered. He's talking about recovery from something that will take someone's life. But how much more for us who have come to know the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, know what it's like to be forgiven of our sins, to know what it's like to be given eternal hope that will never be taken away beyond the grave. 
Ray was just a duckling in the way, and he was following Jesus. And not because he was perfect, but because he was available, he was becoming someone who others could imitate. I know we do discipleship around here. We have some small groups. We're doing that in children's ministry. We, we need people even in children's ministry who aren't perfect or don't even have to be the teacher, but people who just want to love kids, that they might be discipled. Um, there's conversations about what it means to show the way, to offer the way to our friends through the Mission Possible program. There's conversations even this week about the walk to Emmaus that's coming up for women in October and soon for men. But what I'm saying to you, I'm not asking to put anything on your schedule, but what I'm inviting you to is to come to know Jesus Christ and be transformed by him so that others might be transformed too. Would you pray with me now? And so God, we uh, just pause we uh, do thank you for your love and your grace. And maybe for some of us, we are just spiritually curious. For whatever that is, God, for whatever reason, you have stirred us. We are searching for answers. We're searching for hope. We are searching for a firm foundation that will never drop out and never crumble. We believe, Jesus, you are that firm foundation. And so for some of us, maybe even now you're tugging at our hearts, oh God, and you long for us as a start to just simply ask for your help, to confess how we have tried to live our lives apart from you and how we need your love and your grace and your forgiveness. And for some of us, we have known you for some time. We, we just, we want to, we want to know what it's like to have the spirit of adoption in our life, to know who we are, the difference you have made, that even now, not only have you forgiven us, but you have adopted us. We are now daughters and sons of the most high God. And so whatever is in our life that might be in the way of that, show us and speak to us even now. And for all of us, wherever we're at on the, on the path, on the journey, help us take one more step, one more step toward you, Jesus, with others. Give us a spiritual family that we might become all that we're meant to be. All for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.